You're listening to the Historical Bookworm Show for lovers of history and readers of inspirational fiction. Join your hosts, Kylie and Darcy, for author interviews, a pinch of the past, and special bookworm reviews. Hi, this is Kylie Woodley and Darcy Fournier. Tamara Alexander is a U.S. Today bestselling novelist and one of today's most beloved authors of inspirational historical romance. Her works have been awarded numerous industry-leading honors, among them the Christie Award, the Rita Award, the Carroll Award, and the Library Journal's top honors. They've also earned the distinction of Publishers Weekly starred reviews. Her deeply drawn characters and thought-provoking plots have earned her devoted readers worldwide. Tamara and her husband reside in Nashville, Tennessee, where they live a short distance from Nashville's Balmead Plantation and Carton, the setting of number one CBA best-selling Southern series. Tamara, welcome to the Historical Bookworm Show. Hey, thank you so, so much. Thank you, gals, for having me. And I am I am delighted to be here. And I just want to tell you, people often ask how to how to say my name. I normally do Tamara or, or Tamara, but you can do Tamara, you can do Tamara, or you can just say Tammy, whichever whichever one is easiest. So but normally, yeah, normally it's 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 Tamara, but I can go by whatever. If we just want to do Tammy for the interview, that's great. I love that. I it's you actually have a unique name. Mine's just Darcy. It's not that hard, but you would be surprised how many ways that can be pronounced. But I love it. Tamara is such a unique name. It's really pretty. Well, no, thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I only ever heard it as a child when I was in trouble. Normally it has been Tammy for years, but when Bethany House first signed me, oh gosh, it's been close to going on 20 years ago now. They said, you know, they sent the contract as Tammy and I said, actually, my name is Tamara. And they said, oh, good. Can we use that on the books? Way more historical. It's <laughs> like, oh, okay. Use whatever name you want to just, just give me a contract. <laughs> well, it's also unique, you know, so it, it helps make sure that, you know, Tamara Alexander, it's nobody else is going to have like that exact combination. So I love it. Thank y'all for having me. This is so nice to be with y'all. And thank you for all y'all do to to really spread the word about historical fiction. I really appreciate that. Oh, it's our pleasure. We we love doing this so much. Well, let's get started with something fun. If you could travel back in time for a vacation, would you rather visit the remote Colorado Territory setting of your Timber Ridge Reflection series Mm -hmm. or the Reconstruction Era South setting of your Belmont Mansion series? You know, that is a, that's a tough question because I love Colorado. I love the Colorado Territory. We lived there for close to 17 years. So all the places that I've written about, we've visited, I've just delved into the history. But I am a Southern gal at heart, born and raised in Atlanta. And especially in light of today and where we are in this certain moment in time coming out of 2020 and a lot of what happened in that uh, in that year, I would have to vote to the Reconstruction era of the South. I would love to go back and see firsthand um, and really study if I could, you know, sometimes you just think if I could walk through history as a um, and just visualize, just, you know, to be there, to overhear, to listen, to eavesdrop, um, to see what it really was like um, in all the different settings from all the different socioeconomic backgrounds. 
I think we have to be careful not to not to rewrite our history. I mean, either way, we have to be careful not to make it better than it was, but we also need to be careful not to look back and say, well, nothing's ever changed. You know, it's it's the same as it was back then, um, because both of those are grossly wrong. They're, bro- you know, they're just grossly wrong. It's not just the same as it was. And if we knew, and we do from historical context and from historical diaries and everything else and documents and newspaper, we just know from history what it was really like. But we often say, you know, things just haven't changed that much. Oh, yeah, they have. However, however, is there room for more change? Oh, heavens, yes. (laughs) Oh, goodness, yes. So let's not make it, you know, let's not make, well, things today are just great. Well, they are so much better. But we have so much more to go because we are such sinful human beings. Um, and at our gut core without Christ, we are so selfish and self-centered and more, you know, we are definitely more of the individualistic instead of instead of communal. And um, anyway, so I would all that to say, and I promise my answers will not be this long, but it's the Reconstruction era. I would love to step back into that. I love it. Very specific reason. So that's that's cool. You've thought this through very carefully. I love it. I think that leads directly into our next question, too. Uh, you've written three series set in the post-Civil War South. How do you approach writing in such a politically charged and emotionally heavy time period? Well, you know, it's interesting because I started writing um, the Southern novels, um, really around 2007. And I would say that as far as socially, there wasn't the huge um, backlash or um, mm, such a negative connotation, negative feeling about that until really around 2020, right? That's when some of that 2019, latter 2019 and 2020. Um, So by then, all of those novels had been published except for one. And that was Colors of Truth. And I'm assuming y'all know what happened with that novel. I'll just give a quick little recap is um, June of 2020, uh, Colors of Truth, which is the second full length Carnton novel, which Carnton is basically where the Civil War died. It really did. That's where the last um, Southern army in that Southern theater for the military theater of the South, they were defeated. They were not just defeated, they were demolished. And then they limped on to Nashville, where Nashville just finished them off, where the federal troops finished them off. But really, it's only about five minutes from where I live. It's the Harpeth Valley. And that is where the Civil War died that night. Um, thank God. I mean, so many. And yes, uh, it's just, I just am so grateful that the North obviously won, that human rights, I mean, just for so many reasons, everything. But so Carnton is the second novel in that series. And Carnton, um, the books were printed. They were ready to ship. They were, I mean, literally ready to ship that day. And my publisher calls and they said, um, you know, we think we ought to delay the book. Because again, right smack in the middle of, of it's June 2020. And people are tearing down buildings. They're wanting buildings changed. And again, I would agree with some of that. Okay. So I'm not over here defending. I'm just saying, let's just be careful how we walk through. And sometimes there are better ways rather than just demolishing and tearing names off. There are better ways that we can really show history 
bringing the full story. The Franklin ministers and curators of the historical places here have done such a great job. Um, Black and white preachers coming together, men and women. And it has been amazing to see that. So really, and, and as they say, to tell the full story, the full story, not one side of it. So anyway, so long story short, my publisher says, let's, let's keep the book and let's just delay it. And I said, I really don't think that's a great idea. I think I mean, it's all about colors of truth. It's all about shades of truth um, in the black and white issue, even in the in the counterfeit money issue. Remember, they had the green ink where they thought, OK, we'll make the green ink and then the counterfeiters won't be able to counterfeit the money anymore after the Civil War, blah, blah, blah. Well, they took them like two minutes to counterfeit the ink. And it was this whole novel deals with all levels of truth. And um, so basically then, I mean, it's it's, you know, it's their call. So yes, the book was delayed. And then they, about three weeks later, then they, they said, we need to have a Zoom call. Long story short is they've asked me to rewrite the novel. And I said, but it's already printed. It's already printed. And they said, we have destroyed those copies. Those are gone. So your choices are rewrite the novel or we cancel it. And I said, but you, but you accepted it in January and it's printed. And they said, no, those, those copies are being burned. Those will never see the light of day. These are your choices. You either rewrite the novel with three pages of our changes, which was basically gals. It was, again, I don't want to spend the whole interview on this, but it was basically giving agency to every black person in the novel. And I said, and again, this is six months after the Civil War. The Emancipation Proclamation was barely dried on paper. And it really wasn't even fully Libby breathing. You know, it I mean, it was, it was, it just wasn't there yet. And I said, so you're asking me, one of the main characters, a 70-year-old woman who has been beaten down by slavery all of her life, all of a sudden to start rampaging across the country and taking on Washington and everything else. I said, number one, that didn't happen at Carnton. And I, I work closely with the curators to tell the truth, to tell the real story. And they wanted, you know, everyone to speak the same. They wanted everyone to wear the same clothing. They wanted, I mean, they just wanted basically history kind of stripped. It was just strip it out. And they said, and if you don't do that, just take out all of the African-American people, just remove them. And I said, but this is, this is <laughs> Southern. This is the, that is the heart of this issue is the, is the relationship and what do we do and how do we come together? So, so anyway, so I said, no, I said, I will not do that. And they said, okay, we're canceling book two and book three. And so they, so they canceled that book. So it was about by then it was set early September and I had about a month. It was supposed to release on October the 6th. So I very quickly um, learned how to indie pub. <laughs> I mean, just, crash course of indie publishing, which I had always had. I'm, I was a marketing major back in college. So I've always loved the business side of writing. In fact, we'll be in meetings with my publisher and they'll say, okay, you know, we will handle this. We need you to finish the book. Just write the book. And I'm just like, but would you let me just know what you're doing with marketing channels and channel distribution and all of the metadata and all of this stuff? And they said, we will bring you, you know, we'll bring you in write the book. So um, write the book. Um, so anyway, so that's been a, um, so all that to say, writing this in a politically charged and emotionally heavy, I think you said heavy time period. 
it's been interesting because the book that is coming out Tuesday, uh, well, November the 7th, A Million Little Choices, it's the dual timeline and we are right smack dab back in the middle, not even, not even the Reconstruction era, but right in the middle of the Civil War. And I did that um, pretty intentionally. I wanted to go back because you're dealing with two women in, I would say, abusive marriages. One of them is physically abusive. The other is um, there is infidelity and straying and all of that. Um, So I wanted to explore, number one, a woman's rights in current day versus a woman's rights in 1863 drastically different, drastically different. So, you know, to say, well, things haven't changed much. Oh my word. Yes, they have. I have really appreciated writing that and I learned a ton, but I will say I did not write this one any differently than I've written my previous ones because I've been blessed with a lot of curator, I would call curator friends. Um, uh, um, let's see, you mentioned early on uh, Belmont, Belmede and Carnton. I've had the pleasure over the last dozen years of working very closely with their historians, with their curators, who incidentally read the finished novel um, or the finished first draft, I I should say, as I turn it into my publisher and then, you know, the substantive editor is doing her or his thing, then I give the novel to them. And I said, would you read it for historical detail, historical accuracy of the era of the time? So I didn't write this one any differently because I'd write the truth and don't sugarcoat it. And I really appreciated being able to write this one right now um, in light of those of those two female relationships separated by 150 years, but living in the very same house, in the very same house, just separated by time. That is so cool. And I love how you're committed to portray as honestly as possible the truth of history and then weave that into how it kind of trickles down to us today. Well, now we have a quick fan submitted question. So out of all your many novels and novellas, there have been quite a few over all the series and standalones you've written. Who is your favorite heroine and why? That is a fun, fun question. And specifically the heroine. I love writing women. I love writing men, but I just love writing women. But I will tell you, sometimes when I first turn in my first draft, my editors will say, yeah, she's not really likable right now. She's hard. And I'm like, well, life is hard, you know, and it's like, well, that's not a good answer. So you go back. But one of the ones that I have really, I truly appreciated writing and we're, and we're going back to, oh goodness, to a Colorado series, um, to the very first Fountain Creek Chronicles. It was rekindled, revealed, and remembered. Revealed is about a reformed prostitute. And I loved the male protagonist of the book, his name was Matthew, and I loved their banter. My husband and I are extremely sarcastic. We have never in almost 40 years, we do not yell when we fight. So we are very sarcastic. And when our our son married in, in 2020, and he was like, okay, I found the girl, I'm going to meet her. We were just thinking, I hope she fits in. I hope she's not too terribly sweet, you know, and oh my goodness, she just fits in so well. The very first time we met her, she was like, she's like, we're, you know, you're going down. Uh, she loves playing games and we do too. And she looked, and she looked at the whole family and she said, and, and you're going down. Uh, so Annabelle in Revealed is She is probably one of my favorites. And then honestly, I would have to skip forward to Claire in the book that I just wrote. And again, that's not, 
just because it's coming out, but because I've had it inside me for so long, Claire and Stephen and Charlotte Thursman, the woman who lived in that house back in the 1850s and 60s. I just know these people so well because I've lived with them inside. And as I was saying earlier before we started recording was every step changes the view in life, but also every step changes the view in life also changes the story that you're writing. I just, I love Claire and Charlotte's, their spunk, their tenacity, their steadfastness. Yeah. Was it Robin, Robin Lee Hatcher, a writing buddy? She said when she was reading it, she said, some of the times I could hear your voice. That's something you would say for Claire for the current day. And um, so that was really fun though, to write, be able to say the things that you would normally say today, because I write historical mainly, right? And you cannot, it's not the same, it's not the same words. It's not the same vernacular. You can't use the same phrases, So you have to work to get that across because where we can, we are very more cutting and sarcastic today, typically than they would have been formally with each other public. And if you're writing the true historical, but yeah, so that's, uh, and that's a great, that's a great question. Speaking of which I'm going to go ahead and read the blurb and we will dive into some more specifics about your latest release, a million little choices, your first dual storyline novel. Two women from different centuries living in the same house share strikingly similar journeys. Claire Powell's life is turned upside down when her beloved husband admits to a near affair. But when Stephen accepts a partnership with an Atlanta law firm without consulting her and buys a historic Southern home sight unseen, it pushes their already fractured marriage to the breaking point. Claire's world spirals and she soon finds herself in a marriage she no longer wants in a house she never asked for. In 1863, Charlotte Thursman, pregnant and trapped in a marriage to an abusive husband, struggles to protect her unborn child and the enslaved members of her household. Desperate, she's determined to right the evils her husband and others like him commit. But how can one woman put an end to such injustice, especially if her husband makes good on his threat to kill her? Both Claire and Charlotte discover truths about themselves they never realized, along with secrets long hidden that hold the power to bring God's restoration if only they choose to let it. Way to plunge us into not one, but two emotionally gripping storylines. Two women in the same home, a century apart, but both struggling with their marriages and life. Some things about people hold true in any generation. And as far as the historical side goes, you've moved from writing about after the Civil War to setting your story smack in the middle of the conflict. Did that make a difference for your writing or did it feel like a natural transition? You know, it really, um, I will have to say it felt more of a natural transition. When Focus on the Family decided to start their adult fiction line and Jerry Jenkins came calling and after I made sure he had dialed the right number, um, he said, you know, he said, we want you to write one of one of the contemporaries. It'll be you and Chris Fabry and Angela Hunt. And I was just overwhelmed. I was like, oh, how fun will this be? I told him then, I said, but I don't, I don't write contemporary. I write historical. And he said, well, we think you can do it. And he said, do you have anything else that you want to, to pitch? And I said, actually, I've had a story for, you know, since 2005. And he said, write that up. 
And so I did. And it was easy. It just kind of flowed because again, I'd live with these characters and you think about them and pitched it and they said yes. And so here we are. So it was really, it felt like a natural transition and more even, not even so much a transition, but a, but a coming full circle. I'll say it was just a real come full circle moment, which I was really grateful for. It's cool how God brings those moments into our lives. And he's, he's always got the perfect timing. As much as we say that, every so often it kind of pops up and you really think about it that yes, this is the perfect timing. Yeah. That's that's super cool. And the old house, which is the, the most concrete thing that ties the story together, is set in Atlanta, which I know you mentioned you were born and raised there, so that's a cool connection. And also women have serious issues in their marriage. How else did that historical timeline kind of trickle down into the contemporary one? For me, that was something I think part of it was the current, the current situation or the current um, temperature, if you will, of the of the times. It was it was wonderful to be able to have someone, a woman who knew or who knows about the history would never, ever, ever, ever want to live in this antebellum home just for what it represents. Never. Then her husband he half listens, you know, she's been decorating this house for someone and all she, and it's an antebellum home. And all she's talked about, you know, to Stephen is about this house. And he was half listening as we all do to each other. It's not just men to, it's not just husbands to wives, wives to husbands. We all kind of just half listen at times. And so he just think she loves antebellum homes. I will buy her one as a peace offering for having the mere affair. And of course, she is just like, what have you done? So that was a wonderful thing because that's, I mean, I'll go visit these homes. I host book clubs in these homes. We do a Southern Mansion Reader Weekend where we dinner at Belmont, we breakfast at Belmead, and then we dinner at Carnton. And the curators speak and we tour the houses. But I am never in those houses, but what I'm not thinking of the slaves, slave labor who built those houses and of the wealth of the life of the people who lived there and who benefited from that, from work and talent that was not their own and was dishonestly gained. Um, So it was wonderful to have a character. So that's another, I guess I would say, one of the things that trickled in through this that um, and then to have a woman actually living in the house, she and her first husband built the house and living in, and then often I would place it in the very same room. So we end a scene with Charlotte in that room. And then we're with Claire in that very same room. And that was just, I loved, I loved the, um, well, how would you say it? The, the bridge across time, maybe because, you know, God is outside of time and I could, It was one thing that was surprising to me was to see so clearly how God met each woman in her time in certain ways. He met their needs, but came about it in very different ways. But I loved, I loved writing that. And since I'm not a plotter, I am not a plotter. Sometimes I wish I was, but I'm not. I'm a seat of the pantser. And um, so there were times that it would surprise me how things that would come in the story. And I'd be like, I, that, I did not see that coming. That's awesome. And I love like what you're talking about. The house gives you that chance kind of to touch history. You know, when you're visiting Belmont and Belmede and, you know, this antebellum house in 
in Atlanta, you know, and so it kind of for your contemporary character, it was giving her a, a way to touch history. And sometimes she was sounds like she's not enjoying that, but um, but it definitely has an effect on you. I love that this story has been so many years in the making and how, how God's finally brought it to us. I'm excited. I'm excited for this to release. Thank you. So what is next for your writing? Mm, I'm working on a story right now that I truly thought I would be doing indie because I didn't think a Christian publisher would necessarily want it. But it's um, it's the story of Miss Mary Bobos in Lynchburg, Tennessee, which that may not ring a bell to y'all. But have you ever heard of Jack Daniel? Mm-hmm, of course. Yes. Jack Daniel's Whiskey, Jack Daniel's Distillery in Lynchburg, Tennessee. So this is the book I'm writing now is about Jack Daniel, the history of Lynchburg, the history of the distillery, and also an amazing woman, Miss Mary Bobo, who was an entrepreneur before her time. She ran a boarding house. The boarding house is actually still there. She just died. She was 102 and she passed away in, I want to say 1978, I believe it was. And she was 102 and she ran it up until age 99. She still ran the boarding house, all that. Now it's not a boarding house anymore. It is a family style restaurant. Jack Daniels Distillery actually bought the Miss Mary Bobo's many years back. So now they run it. But uh, so I'm working with their historians and with the curators of of the Jack Daniels brand there and working with them to write the story of Miss Mary Bobo's boarding house and Jack Daniels distillery. And the title we still don't know, but I have a feeling it could just be Miss Mary Bobo's boarding house because everything happens, as you can imagine, around that boarding house. It's set in early 1900s. So the female protagonist is a suffragette um, who has to flee uh, something that she's done, uh, serious crime. She thinks she's killed somebody and has. And so anyway, it's just all of this stuff. So and then a guy who works for Jack Daniel. Um, it's, it's been a fun story. And I would say even even though suffragette and that was not a um, they were not without their own struggles and their own uh, brutality that was done to those women who were our forebearers of our rights and rights to vote and everything else and equal wages and all of that. But I've loved diving into that history and then putting that, really painting that against such a colorful background. Um, That's with Tyndale. And then I will turn to uh, my second book with Tyndale is going to be about the Ryman Auditorium. If ever you've been to Nashville and have heard about the oh, mother, that is so cool. The mother yes. church, <laughs> the mother church. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Like it's a new time period, but we're still um, politically charged, and it's also sounding like there's going to be some heavy emotion in there. So you know, yeah, stay true to character. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That sounds great. Thank you. Um, I'm enjoying it. And for our listeners, Tammy is offering a copy of A Million Little Choices. To enter, check out the giveaway page on our website, historicalbookworm.com. You can also find a direct link to the giveaway in the show notes for this episode. And Tammy, how can our listeners connect with you? Oh, the best way would be just to go to my website, which is TamaraAlexander.com. I always tell people Tamara like a camera that you take a picture with, except with a T and all of my links will be there. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, you know, the whole, the whole gamut. 
I love connecting. There's a contact button right on the front page and write or, you know, connect with me via social media. I would love that. I also do a giveaway every month on my website and that's front and center on the homepage. You don't have to go looking. And um, that's just for the people, for my e-update friends. And uh, that can range anywhere from my favorite latest product from Amazon. It could be a book or it might be some fabulous, I don't know, hair gel that I just love. It's just all these different things across the, just things that I like to share with readers. So it's kind of, try to keep it fun. Well, thank you once again for joining us. I have really enjoyed discussing this story and and how it came about. So thank you again. Thank y'all so much. Y'all are very good at what you do. And, and again, thank you so much for helping to get the word out about A Million Little Choices. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Historical Bookworm Show, where history meets fiction. For more information, find us at historicalbookworm.com.